This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, listeners, for spending 30 minutes of your precious time with us to delve into critical national issues. Today, we will discuss the fallout of the recent storm that paralyzed Texas with Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist for the Austin American statesman, Ken Herman. Welcome, Ken. Glad to be here. It's it's warmed up. We're doing better now, but there's still a lot of people suffering here. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. You know, they say everything in Texas is big, and boy, this was a... Uh, a big mess, you know, electricity severed to millions of residents, uh, the storm attributed to nearly 80 deaths. And then we had the political saga of takeoff Ted Cruz, who um, abandons his constituents during the disaster to go to Cancun, Mexico, which we all know is a very popular vacation spot. But I wanted to first ask you how you and your family and friends, um, you know, experienced uh, this storm, you know, kind of how it affected you. Bottom line for my wife, and I, minor impact. I'll go through it quickly. Uh, the, the Thursday and Friday before Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day that Sunday and President's Day after was when it started getting real, really bad. But we had some icing and some power lines were down and stuff. So on that Thursday and Friday, my wife and I lost power at our house. But that was before there was snow and ice all over the road. So we were very, uh, very easy for us. We spent one chilly night at home and drove to a friend's house a second night. Um, minor inconvenience. Uh, the, in the these things happen when you get a little bit of ice down here. Yeah, and that was that. Yeah, I guess that was a question you were saying. It's eighty six down there, but how how frequent is a is a storm like this to Texas? Ice and snow. We get snow here in Austin. I'd say maybe once every seven or eight years. Wow. And snow in Austin generally means a half inch. Mm-hmm. It properly paralyzes the city because we have no snow removal equipment, Mm -hmm. which uh, any politician who spent tax dollars on snow removal equipment here would be laughed out of office. You know, (laughs) really, it just it's just not necessary. You know, we, we go through it. It usually melts by noon the next day. The kids enjoy it. And frankly. It's often a refreshing break from the routine. Now, in COVID times, all bets are off, but it's welcome. And it's a winter wonderland with a quarter inch of snow. And it's it's generally a positive experience. Yeah, this was like no one has seen. It was the uh, the most snow we've had in Austin since 1949. In mm. Austin, it was the longest period below freezing we've ever had. It was below mm. freezing here for 144 hours. You have to understand, for people who don't understand Austin, when the weather gets in the mid-40s here, it's just about front-page news. You know, it's not, Flo- <laughs> it's not Florida here, but, right. it, you know, you know what it is. When it started, the first day, it was kind of that welcome winter wonderland, isn't this beautiful? And then it went uh, downhill very, very quickly to mm. suffering, uh, deaths. We still don't know how many. Uh, law enforcement is still dreading going house to house on, you know, wellness checks and what they're going to find. Um, and uh, the power's all back on, the water's all back on, but there are something like 200 to 400 apartment complexes in Austin still without water. The city who provides the water, the water is getting to the complex, but something in the complex is broken, and in some cases could take weeks or months to repair. So people's lives have been turned up and down. Again, very fortunate, you know, things you didn't realize were important. When they started having the intended power shutdowns, when they had a shutdown power supply because the demand was outstripping it, we found our power didn't go out then. 
and it has to do with we are within about a half a mile of an Austin City fire station, and that's considered mm. critical infrastructure. So that is right. a last case scenario where they turn off the power. Mm. It could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our own statewide grid here, very independent people, Texans, perhaps you've heard. And we have our own power <laughs> grid that basically was established by the legislature and state leaders back in about 1999 or so to keep us out from under the uh, onerous hand of federal government regulation on things like pollution. And generally, the power grid worked fine, except when it didn't. And when it went down this week, we have this entity called ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. It's sort of a, it's a nonprofit corporation. It's not government, but it is. They don't make power, but they control the flow of it. The best analogy is like the air traffic controls the airport. They tell all the different companies that generate power, you can put this much in the grid, take this much off. And they saw apocalypse coming, and they made uh, power providers... Uh, do load shed, which would basically turn off the power. And the head of ERCOT, and again, this is ERCOT, not to be confused with that kid Urkel from TV or Epcot Epcot, at Disney World. No, this, this, uh, I think, you know, I may be wrong. We we might have been better off with Urkel in charge. But anyway, very seriously, the head guy at ERCOT said this week, we came within four minutes and 37 seconds of requiring what is known in the industry as a black start, which is as ominous as it sounds. What that means is the whole power grid goes out, and he said it can take weeks, if not months, to bring it back. You go weeks without months with electric without electricity, and it is societal breakdown. This was close to this was a catastrophe that could have been cataclysmic. You mentioned the grid, and 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 that's really fascinating because um, I read a great book in 2016 by a woman named Gretchen Bakke, B A K K E, and it was called The Grid. And the reason I read it was on Bill Gates' top 50 books. And she wasn't an engineer; she wasn't in the electric industry. She was a cultural anthropologist, and she was so fascinated with the grid. And she had said, "If I was going to attack the United States, the first thing I would do is knock out that grid." It's just that important. And one of the other things she said is that, you know, the, the, the country has let the grid deteriorate and, and, you know, has to be rebuilt. And um, it sounds like with Texas being, they weren't on a regional grid, they weren't on the national grid. Um, how did that affect the ability to kind of get, get, I guess it did affect them because they didn't get the electricity people, but how was that, that, independence, how did that hurt in terms of this catastrophe? Well, it hurt in that we were not interconnected in with other grids that could have fed power to us. Now, the reality is, and there are some small parts of Texas, El Paso and up in the Panhandle, that are not on this grid. But uh, the reality is, apparently, we do have some emergency interconnectivity with uh, grids that uh, you know border upon us. But as the ERCOT guy told legislators yesterday in a marathon hearing that's continuing today, like in Oklahoma, they had the same problems going on. It was a little chilly and unseasonably cold in Oklahoma also, so they didn't have much power to share. But, you know, it's uh, it, it, the politics of this now obviously are fascinating. This now uh, rockets to the top of the list for our upcoming 2022 statewide elections in a way kind of like COVID did for 2020. Uh, you know, it came out of nowhere to become not only a top issue, but the issue. Mm-hmm. This impacted virtually everybody in Texas in some way. And in a way that refocused people, electricity, the, the maybe the ultimate taken for granted miracle that shows up in our house every day. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't help but recall years and years ago, we had a governor named Mark White, a moderate Democrat. Um, 
So he was running, I don't know if it was re-election or election one year, and I was traveling around with him, and we were in a little town of Liberty over in East Texas. Uh, East Texas is more deep south than Texas. And we were traveling around with him, and he does all the local interviews, and a radio guy comes up to him, sticks a microphone like almost up his nose, and he looks at the traveling reporters who are uh, traveling with White, and the local radio guy says, Governor, I'm not like these fancy boys from Austin. Yeah, we're pretty fancy. He said, I'm just going to throw a word at you, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And White goes, okay, yes, sir. So the guy sticks a microphone in Governor White's face and says to him, electricity. And White, without missing a beat, says, real important, got to have it. And I, I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I, I said those words from the now late Mark White, uh, but it is. Uh, and when it goes down, everything's down. There were water problems. Uh, uh, and again, there were deaths. You know, it's uh, none of this was funny. And the, the economic impact on the state is going to be most likely bigger than any hurricane we've ever had, because this is everybody. I have a friend who had a tree fall through the roof. Uh, uh, they can live in the house. It's not awful. But the insurance company said, we'll get an adjuster out to take a look at that for you in three to six months. Wow. Wow. And there were some really heartbreaking stories out of there. And I heard about the one uh, older guy who just, they found froze to death in his recliner. And uh, there were a lot of stories like that, weren't there? Yeah, they're terrible. There was a 75-year-old man uh, not far from Houston, a Vietnam vet, counted on an oxygen tank, uh, no power in the house, went out to his truck where he had a portable one he carried on, and that's where he died, in his truck. It's mm -hmm. an 11-year-old boy and lived in a mobile home. Uh, it's, uh, this is uh, just heartbreaking. The mother has video of him in the snow the day before, frolicking. First mm -hmm. time he'd ever mm -hmm. seen snow. Mm -hmm. The absolutely appropriate reaction for an 11-year-old first time seeing snow. Dead the next day, uh, uh, sleeping near the fireplace when his mom went to wake him up. And uh, we're going to hear more and more like that. And, you know, I just read in our paper this morning, there's something like 86 deaths in the Austin area that now are at least in the big umbrella of, we're going to look at these, they might be weather related. Uh, we had a fire here in East Austin. Uh, house burned, uh, three people died in it. Uh, again, still under investigation, but most likely someone doing the best they can to heat their home in what turns out to be a very unsafe way to do it. And that was going on because it was, uh, you know, it got down to seven degrees here, which is mm. just uh, unheard of. And then it was, you know, and people up north get this. It snowed and then there was some ice on top of the snow and, you know, uh, grocery stores were completely unstocked. Uh, it, it's it's an all-encompassing disaster that uh, from which you cannot escape. Getting back to the politics, deregulation has been talked a lot about it in Texas and how the state legislature and state officials allow deregulation, and which gives a little more power to the power companies. What, 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 how's that been talked about and how is that being looked at? Well, the, 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 extremely. And uh, the, uh, the 1999, that was signed into law by then Governor George W. Bush, who was preparing for a presidential campaign. But uh, frankly, it had bipartisan support. The Senate sponsor yeah. was a Republican. The House sponsor was a, a Democrat from Dallas. Mm -hmm. It had bipartisan support. A very Texan notion, competition, which is a good thing in most industries. And in a lot of Texas now, you can pick your power company. We can't in Austin because in a few cities in Texas, it's a municipal-owned utility. The city of Austin is in the electric business and sells you, takes care of uh, procuring and providing electricity. So we can't uh, pick here. But in, in most of the state, uh, I would say a majority of Texans now, 
can pick their utility provider. Uh, its impact on prices is, uh, is hard to quantify. But the ultimate of this is there's a company called Gritty, G-R-I-D-D-Y. I didn't know this existed. Here's their business model. You pay them $9.95 a month, and they pass on to you electricity they purchase at the wholesale price they pay. So you are acknowledging in a contract you sign, you know, that you probably don't read the fine print of, but you know the deal. Whatever they pay, you, you're going to pay plus the $9.95 a month. And there are thousands of people, not a huge base, but a lot of people subscribe to this service. Last week, power that usually cost about three-tenths of a cent per kilowatt hour went up by 900%. Wow. The other thing you agree to with Gritty is they auto-draft your bank account for the payments, you know, like you wow. do with a lot of things. But wow. They got, wow. So there were wow. people who suddenly were hit in their bank account last week for bills for tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. Now, this will be litigated forever. And again, mm. one of the only things we can know for sure in America is lawyers will profit from this. God mm. bless them. But mm. on one hand, these people signed the contract saying, Here's what I agree to. Whatever you pay, I'll pay. Now, mm. history, looking back, you know, if they looked over the period of time, up, down, prices, a little mm. fluctuation, but mm. a lot of them came out ahead. Mm. You couldn't have foreseen this coming, but this is what you contractually obligated yourself to, and now people are trying to figure this out. The other odd thing is part of the problem here is a lot of the machinery involved in providing electricity, the generating of it, mm. the transmitting of it, everything that gets it to your light switch, is not sufficiently winterized here. It's not sufficiently winterized because, in general, we don't sufficiently have much of a winter to, to mm -hmm. worry about. Yeah. Yeah. But this time, it was beyond belief. So now they want, you know, the, this, let's winterize the grid. So now the debate's going to be, who should pay for it? Should the yeah. state pay for it? These are privately owned facilities. Now, the mm -hmm. bottom line is, Either taxpayers or ratepayers are going to pay for it because, as mm -hmm. you know, businesses don't pay taxes. They generally collect taxes. Mm -hmm. But it's um, uh, a lot, lot of political um, uh, fighting going on. And again, we've had both on the House and Senate side in our state legislature yesterday had hearings that started at 9 a.m. and went till about 11 p.m. And now wow. we're underway again. And they're bringing in everybody, the power providers, the state officials. This is a, uh, you know, a, the politicians realize this is a uh, life-threatening political issue for them. And talking about life-threatening political issues, uh, the major political story coming out of the disaster was uh, Texas U.S. Senator Ted Cruz leaving his constituents in the lurch during this disaster. Um, you know, I covered Congress uh, for 10 years, and I'm hard-pressed to think of a guy <laughs> who was reviled by both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, Lindsey Graham was, was quoted this week saying, if you killed Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate and the trial was held in the Senate, nobody would convict you. And, um, you know, many Cruz detractors, you know, said the fallout from this couldn't happen to a nicer guy because he's perceived as arrogant and obnoxious and self-righteous. But how did he get elected in the first place? First of all, you know, the uh, bipartisan dislike for him is finally a leader who can bring the two parties together in something. I think that's... <laughs> America has been looking for this, and, and thank, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Um, he says the right things for a majority of Texas voters. Um, again, as we found out, you know, he got, um, you know, he was sort of doing the Trump shtick before Trump did it, and he got out cruised by Trump, who outflanked him for doing that kind of thing. No, you know, he is, uh, he is, he is certain in his thoughts. He, he's a very smart guy. He's very smart, but there's just something about. For a lot of people, his presence 
and his demeanor that's easily dislikable beyond maybe just disagreeing with his politics. Our other senator, our senior senator, Senator John Cornyn, uh, a lot of Texans disagree with his politics, but I don't know that anyone is ever, you know, hard not to react to him as anything other than I just disagree with him. Now, he, by necessity, got a little too Trumpy for some people, but the, you, you understand why, because mm-hmm. Trump remains yeah, popular in the uh, state. Definitely. But Cruz yes. is, uh, you know, the other great thing Al Franken once said about him, he said, uh, I like Ted Cruz more than most of my fellow senators like him, and I hate him. So, <laughs> but, you know, he knew, he knew it was a mistake. You know, at least, you know, he came back and acknowledged it. Um, you know, I was taking a lot of grief. You know, like everybody, I wrote a very low-hanging fruit, you know, skewering sure, sure, Cruz over, sure, and I, sure. I felt guilty. It's too uh, easy. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, so people initially say, oh, you know, you just hate him, you just hate him. And, and then I said, yeah, maybe the case, but now he's acknowledging it, it was a mistake also. Uh, you yeah. know, the highlight of it is, you know, he left his dog at home, apparently with some way to, to care for the dog. And there were pictures of the dog at the window. And again, only because there is a God, the dog's name is Snowflake. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Perfect for the newspaper and media people. That's just, yeah, that's just, Too easy. That is, that's divine. Now, he doesn't run again until 24, I guess. He don't run in 2024. So I'm sure he hopes that the voters will forget about this. But you think they will throw him out? Uh, I don't think Republicans will. And, you know, it just depends on where the state is now. Also, remember, there'll be an election for another job that year, President of America. And, you know, I'm sure he still thinks uh, that's in the cards. Now, under our state law, he can he can run for both simultaneously, re-election and president, a, a law that was put in many years ago for uh, um, uh, Lloyd Benson to do the same thing many years ago. But it's, um, I, I don't know, you know, his, his national reputation has got to be tarnished by this. The only question is, is it among anyone who would have voted for him anyway? You know, mm-hmm. does this go mm-hmm. into, you know, you know, he thinks he had, you know, it's where he's very delicate in the Trump world. He'd like Trump not to run next time because he'd like not to run against Trump. And he would think, and he has a legitimate claim to some of the Trump base could go to him. There's a natural reason that could happen. So he doesn't want to go negative on Trump now. But, you know, to me, who, you know, all I care about is the entertainment value of politics, him running against Cruz, you know, it would be like Lindsey Graham, where every other day I'm done with Trump. I love Trump. I hate yes, Trump. I yes, love Trump. Yes, and, yes. you know, Cruz, you know, during the uh, campaign, Trump uh, insulted Cruz's wife's appearance, uh, said that Cruz's father probably came pretty close to personally killing John F. Kennedy. Uh, it, it was a little, it, and, and Cruz said horrible things about Trump. And then, of course, because uh, something about politics makes people forget uh, when it's convenient, they were buddies again. And th- that's a delicate thing. You know, and that was a delicate thing for Cruz in voting on impeachment. I'm sure, and again, he's very smart, very politically savvy. Uh, but I'm sure somewhere in his mind there was this. Maybe I ought to take my shot at him now and get him out for 24 and vote to impeach him and, you know, see if we impeach him, plus pass the follow-up resolution barring him from ever running for office again, which takes would have taken only a majority vote as opposed to the two-thirds to convict. But the risk Cruz runs there, if he had done that, was upsetting the Trump supporters, who he still wants in his, you know, uh, support base if he runs in 24. Uh, could Ted Cruz get reelected here? This, there's two questions. Um, one, Ted Cruz, and two, the overall change in the politics of the state of Texas. Very interesting. You may recall Texas Democrats had big hopes for the last year. Mm-hmm. They might carry the state for Biden, mm-hmm. uh, uh, might uh, unseat John Cornyn. Horribly disappointing outcome for them in Texas. 
they recently released a postmortem they did with lots of reasons why it happened. And frankly, it was, it was candid and, uh, you know, the, the self-blaming for some of the things they did. One of the big things they blame was they made what scientifically, uh, medically, was a proper COVID-based decision to back off of door knocking and personal contact with people. This is not a great time to just blindly knock on somebody's door. Uh, we all know why. I don't care how many masks you have on. Um, Republicans didn't do that. And the Democrats, Texas Democrats, said they were really hurt by that. And they said, especially in Hispanic and African-American right. communities sure. where sure. they always it's run a real strong, yeah. but always want a, a need a bigger turnout. And they said that really hurt them. So to the extent that's true, and it's true to some extent, was 2020 a real barometer of where this state is politically. It's certainly not the state politically. It was 8, 12, maybe six years ago. 2024, depending where we are with COVID, might be a better test. Um, I, I assume Cruz will be running for something that year. It's kind of interesting. You called him political savvy. And, and I think you're right. And this was happening with President Trump, too, is that Republicans are going to support him if they, if they if he's got an R. I've heard a lot of friends of mine say, yeah, everybody's picking on Ted Cruz. And they kind of justified what he did. But um, this is this is a this is a political one, a one-on-one mistake. I mean, you just, it, 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 for a guy who is so political savvy, I was shocked that he would do this. this is a city, he's city councilman, borough councilman. No, you don't do this. R- rookie, rookie mistake made by a wily veteran. And then, and then, and then because it's just so beautiful, he blames it on his kids. Oh, the kids really wanted to go <laughs> to Cancun. And, and, and the reality was, um, this was a, yes, I'm sure they did. And their house was without power. But, uh, you know, they had the wherewithal probably to survive okay, and maybe even with a little bit of suffering. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that. But, um, you know, he said he was just trying to be a good dad. Okay, maybe. But maybe a good dad also might have said this. You know, girls, and his daughters are 10 and 12. You know, girls, I know you'd like to do this. But, uh, you know, a lot of our neighbors are suffering. Maybe we can stay here and help. And maybe instead of spending that money, maybe we can, you know, give that money to a food bank or something. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. was, um, yeah, a, a rookie mistake. And again, as soon as he came back, he said, obviously it was a mistake. And defenders of his said, you know, well, what, what could he have done here anyway? You know, he's just mm-hmm. a U.S. senator. Well, this was a, <laughs> this was an all hands on deck uh, deal. Uh, you know, the famous, as the Biden administration always says, whole of government deal. And they, uh, you know, he blew it and he knew it. Well, the, uh, you know, I was covering the congressional hearings, hearings on Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. And with any disaster, changes are made, corrections are attempted. It's kind of like the lessons learned thing. Will any reforms or good come out of this? Yeah, I think there will be a whole look at the way we run our electric grid here. I don't think there will be, uh, you know, anything giving up our independence of having our own independent grid here. It's just the way we are. But no, there, there's, uh, I think, again, our legislature happens to be in session now. They meet only once every two years and only for 140 days. It started in January, will end around Memorial Day. And this very suddenly has become something approaching a one-issue session. This is, this is mm-hmm. it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as I said, these marathon hearings are going mm-hmm. on. They're raking mm-hmm. all kinds of people over the coals or the natural mm-hmm. gas or whatever we mm-hmm. can produce power mm-hmm. with. Uh, big questions about the renewables, wind and solar. You know, the, some of the wind power, the turbines out in West Texas are just all over the place, um, uh, froze and didn't provide power. So people who've always been against that said, see, but we told you this stuff was not reliable. And the people who for it saying it doesn't 
produce that much anyway, and it wasn't the biggest part of the problem, and that seems to be the truth. Uh, the, I think what we're finding is the biggest part of the problem is, to some extent, natural gas that powers a lot of our power plants couldn't flow for various reasons. And there's this real thing. The electric industry is very complicated, both in how electricity happens and the regulation thereof. It's very complicated. And apparently in some of the natural gas fields, um, the natural gas was okay, but they depend on electricity for some of the equipment so it couldn't be pressurized and sent around the state. It, it, it's complicated. And uh, again, it's an issue. It's that rare issue that affects everybody. And uh, people are focused on it right now and will be for, again, some people are going to be feeling the effects of this financially or in day-to-day -day life for weeks or months to come. You're going to learn a lot about the electricity business, that's for sure. But what would you like to see? What do you think needs to happen? They need to, uh, this ERCOT that runs it, and uh, uh, it's a nine-member board, five of whom don't live in Texas um, and have all resigned. They need to overhaul the whole way that thing operates. And they need to look again at pricing, um, uh, the spot market pricing of some of the fuels and natural gas that powers the plants and how things work. Uh, it's going to get a full overhaul. And I'll tell you, watching 11 or 12 hours of the hearings yesterday, uh, it doesn't take long for it to become, shall we say, esoteric and speaking in utility language that is above and beyond most people's daily comprehension. Uh, yeah. And it's obviously a huge business here in Texas. That is the sickening irony of this. We produce so much power, but we couldn't get power to our own people. Wow, that is uh, amazingly ironic, amazingly ironic. Well, we want to thank you for joining us and giving us your precious time. I know you were buried this week with the work, and we really do appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, chatting with us. It's a fascinating, it was a fascinating uh, catastrophe, and like you say, they'll be unraveling it for, for years. So uh, thanks for being on with us. Always glad to do it. Take care. Thanks. Hey, make sure you uh, say hi to Snowflake for me. Well, yes. <laughs> thanks to our executive producer, Mike Gugat, our technical producer, Brad Maybe the Wizard of Pods, our announcer Dave, and our contributing voice talent John. One take Terzis, the voiceover Tampa Bay. Please take a moment to post a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can reach out with thoughts or topic suggestions to retailpoliticspodcast at gmail.com. Join us next Sunday for another enlightening edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. And until then, always remember, read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career, covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, the Front Row is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.